Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, um, uh, my name is Josiah. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, and uh, along with my wife, uh, we get the privilege of being the associate pastors of this church that meets across the region. Um, I'm here, but I, I live in Vernon, so um, I'm obviously different than you from Kelowna. As you know, Vernon and Kelowna are very different places, um, very different people. I'm saying that all in positive. You're not, you're not really sure how to take my, my words yet. You're like, is he about to diss us? Is he, what is he trying to say right here? I'm just trying to say that I don't live here. Um, but we get the privilege of being uh, a part of this church. And we have a, a gathering here in Kelowna. We have gatherings in Vernon and Revelstoke and online. And our online um, uh, gatherings are joining us here. If you see that camera, no, it's not there, just so I can look back and see how I did. Um, but it is actually, we've got an amazing group of people who are joining us online for across the region and it's a great way if you um if you tune into a message um and you think oh man that was great i i want to hear it again you can always go to youtube and listen to the messages again and actually something that we're going to be doing um it's starting at the end of this month is um we've had a podcast for a number of years um, and we're just reinvigorating it if you will and what you'll find on our podcast moving forward is any new message from across our church so if there's a, a new message, so I'm preaching today, and I preached last week in Vernon, and I'll preach next week in Revelstoke, the same message. So you won't hear that three times, but you'll hear that once. And anytime someone preaches a message in another gathering that isn't here, you can tune in that. So it's sort of a way to hear the voices from across our church, and I really encourage you to tune into that. Um, and before I get started, I, I want to say a, a couple things, because I'm not here very often, and i um, it's always exciting to share with you. Is that all right if I say a couple things before we start? <laughs> so firstly, you can respond to me. This is a church you're allowed to respond to me when I say. So is it all right if I say a few things before I get started? Yeah, yeah, great. So I want to I give you a little bit of information of, of, um, of three things. It's three things this morning, and they're not directly related. But I often find people come into church, and I grew up in church, um, and I've seen a number of people come in and out of church. Um, and I want to give you two things that are going to help you get the most out of this church. If this is your first time or you've been coming here for months, I'm not sure because I'm not here regularly. So you can, you can lie to me. It's fine. God will know, but I won't. Um, but two things that you can do that will allow you to get engaged in this church. And, and if you don't do these things, you won't get engaged in the church. And then eventually you'll feel like you don't have friends in the church and then you'll eventually leave. And I don't mean that as a negative other than just a reality. But there's two things you can do. Is, is One is if you are a part of this church, you should be either going to people's houses for dinner or having people into your home for dinner or going out to eat for dinner. If you are not connecting with another person in this church, probably once a month, you are going to feel disconnected. Yeah. And it's amazing how many times I've had people come to me over the life of our church and say, hey, you know what, I didn't, uh, you know, I never got invited to anything or something like that, you know, that idea. I've always thought, you, you could have invited people into something. Sometimes we're waiting for someone else to be the invitation for us where we can actually be the invitation for ourselves. So I would love for you to take this consideration that, hey, in the month of September, who have I connected with in our church? 
It could be a coffee. It could be a lunch. You know what the easiest thing and the simplest way to do this, and it's, it's like part of the foundation of church in the 90s, is like after Sunday service, you'd go to someone's house for lunch. Done. Church and lunch done in one. But if you want to connect into the body of this church, if you want to connect and get the most of what you can out of this church, one of the things that you need to do is connect with people in a meal outside of church. Good? Really practical. And how many of you hate eating? Right. No one. See, I have to change. I have to, I have to give you the questions that you don't need to respond to. Then I get great response. Uh, the second thing that you can do to get the most out of this church, and this is, this is true if you're in the room or if you're online, is you should be having people into your home to eat with you. doesn't matter where you are. That is actually part of the ministry that Jesus did is he ate with people. And we, uh, we, we, we put that at the bottom of the list where he put it really, really high on the top. Jesus was always around food. Uh, the second thing that you, you want to do and you need to do to connect well into this church is serve on a Sunday. Now, I, I, uh, the, these last few years, as we had COVID and we had services drop and these sort of things, I used to be a huge believer that serving in the church was one of the essentials for you to uh, be active in the church. And then during COVID, I sort of was like, ah, oh, well, maybe it isn't. This and, that. and now as I've looked at people, um, as we've, we've come out of it and done services again, what I've realized is that people who don't serve don't feel like they have any ownership of the church. And there's a difference between this being the church you attend and your church. And the difference is your contribution. Do you hear that? The difference from this becoming the church that is yours versus the church that you attend is your contribution. It's very quiet in this church. I'm not even preaching yet. and I'm just warming you up, building the fire. Um, and the third thing, which has nothing to do specifically with getting the most of the church, but what you can do to get the most of this message is to take notes. Um, it's something that we used to do in church quite a bit, and we've probably all fallen off uh, the, the, the horse, the boat, the, the wagon, fallen off the wagon of it. Um, but part of the reason, it's, it's really practical, is studies show that if you listen to something, you may retain 50%. If you write it down, you're going to retain an additional 10 to 20% of it. So it just means, here's, here's how I figure it in my life, is that um, when I give my time, as, as is yours, your time is valuable, Correct? So if you've chosen to give this time right now to be in church, why not get the most out of it? Why not decide that this hour that I'm bringing, this hour that I'm sitting, this hour that I'm being here, I want to leave with the most I possibly could get out of it rather than just the bare minimum. I just think it's something about taking some personal responsibility for your development and your growth. And I just really want you to get something out of what God has for you. Is that good? That's all right. Three things um, unrelated to this message that will help you. Now, let's get into the message. So we are uh, week two and a half, if you will. Pastor Kimberly on Labor Day weekend shared a message similar into this thread of series. And Pastor Dave was here, our lead pastor, last week sharing a message in this series. We've titled this series, oh, that's a weird graphic, Pure in Heart. Pure in heart. And after this series is complete, so we've got this week and next week, you're going to have Jeremy Becker here sharing a message. Um, and we are, uh, after this series, we've got Thanksgiving, a couple other things, but then we're moving into a series called The Supernatural. And I'm really excited about that series. But there's this, this thing about purity or pure in heart 
that is essential for you to move in the supernatural. So we have to sort of preface the supernatural with this. Sometimes we jump ahead of things, but you know like anything, if you're building a house, you need to start at the foundation. If you don't start at the foundation, you may see something on the surface, but it inevitably it tumbles eventually. Right? So we need to get the foundation right. And if you want to see the supernatural, supernatural being the miraculous, the Holy Spirit moving in your life, any of these things, well, we need to tackle the foundation of pure in heart or purity in our heart. If, um, if you've been a, uh, a religious scholar or you've studied the Bible a little bit at all, you'd know that Christianity stems originally out of Judaism. Everyone have, have some sense of that? So the Jewish faith. And in the Jewish faith, when they first, uh, when they were, were, were communing or spending time with God, they built this temple, right? And there was this amazing, you know, there was, there was the tabernacle, the temple, and they built this temple, and it had these giant courts, and then it had the inner building, and then it had the, the, uh, the holies, and then it had the holy of holies. Holy meaning set apart, meaning separate, different. And it had these different levels. It was sort of like, if, not quite, but let's imagine you came into this building and you, you came in the front door and you were in the foyer. But then you had to come into, you know, the next room here. And let's imagine there was another booth in here and then you had to go into that booth, right? So you were getting into different layers deep of the temple. And what happened in that days is, is when you got to the Holy of Holies, that was the place where the belief and the reality was that God spoke clearly to man where God spoke clearly to man, where he was un, uh, unguarded, un, unbound, unrestricted from his ability to commune with man. And what would happen is the high priest, the top leader, would get to go in there once a year. That's how often God was clearly able to speak to man. Once a year into the Holy of Holies. And they would tie bells to his ankles when he went in because they were afraid that he would see God and he would be so afraid and terrified and awestruck by who God was that he would immediately die. So the bells were attached to his legs so that if the bells stopped ringing because no one else was allowed to go in, they would drag him out. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But here's the reality is every level that they went in required greater purification. Every level that they got deeper into the temple required new cleaning practices, different clothing on, because there was this essential nature that if you came into the presence of God impurely, then, like that song was singing, he would refine you. Now, if God's going to refine me, if you've ever seen anything be refined, what that means is the things that are not pure burn off. So you'd rather have those off before, you know, if I'm going into a fire, I'd like fireproof clothing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This is the nature of what's going on in this, is, is the reality that they had to have greater levels of purity to get into deeper levels of relationship with God. And that has actually not changed. Jesus came he dies on the cross. He breaks the veil to symbolize that we all have the equal opportunity to have relationship and depth of relationship with God. So how about you say that with me? I have equal opportunity for depth of relationship with God. So I do not have any greater ability to have depth of relationship with God than you do. I do not have any greater opportunity to have depth of relationship with God 
than you do. We are all given the same opportunity because Jesus didn't die for me alone. He died for each and every one of us. So we are all given the opportunity. Now, how many of you know we all get opportunities and we don't all take or advantage of the opportunities given? So I'm going to stop there for a moment. I want to read a scripture. I'm going to tell you my title and then we're going to pray and then we're going to start the message. Is that all right? Psalm 51 verse 10 in the NIV, it says this, and this is a psalm after David. David was a king and he, um, he sinned. He saw a woman bathing on the roof. You've heard that song before. Um, and he, he took her and uh, he's been found out and he says this in, in this song that he's written. Psalm 51 verse 10, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. My title for this message, if you are taking notes, you want to write it at the top of your page, is You Do You. You Do You. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to quickly pray. Jesus, I thank you that your presence is here because we seek you and you say that you will be. God, that this is a, a moment and a place and a time where heaven touches earth. God, I pray that in this room, you'd remove the distractions that could keep us from hearing from you. You'd remove the blockages, whether put on by others or carried by self. Let it be easy to find you here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Has anyone ever heard that sentence? You do you. Anyone? You do you. I looked up, uh, you know, and I looked up in the authoritative uh, dictionary of urbandictionary.com to give you a definition. You do you. The act of doing what one believes is the right decision, being oneself. A response when somebody asks for suggestions but doesn't actually need or listen to them. Person number one, dude, I just dropped like 20 bucks on a scooter. Person responds, cool, you do you. Person number two, uh, but I really think I should get Subway. Person, uh, next person, cool, you do you. <laughs> You've heard that phrase before? It's this idea that it's good for you, what's good for you is good for you, and that's all right. That what you do does not affect what so happens to someone else. And I want to take a little different journey here. Pastor Dave, I believe, shared last week on why, the why for purity of heart. And we're going to get there. But I'm, I want to make an assumption here for a moment that's not true, if I can. That's right, an untrue assumption. Is we're going to start on the, this assumption that, that we all desire to live a life of purity. That that's, that that's already certain. So uh, don't, don't, um, um, don't come against me here, but let's, let's just assume that. And I know that that's not true about everyone in here. But we're just going to start in that spot because I want to actually take a different step and then come back to it. So I want to take the step of what are the barriers to a pure life or a life of purity first. So we're going to assume for a moment that we all desire, we already know that, hey, we want to live a pure life, a holy life, a life that is, that is um, not perfect but pure, right? And, and purity, if I was to define that, I think actually the song Gold was a really great choice because it reminds us that, that when there is... Um, when gold is pure, it's without imperfection. And where there is imperfection, there is vulnerability, right? 
Gold with imperfections has vulnerabilities. Diamonds with imperfections have, di have, have vulnerabilities. So the reason that we want purity in those things isn't so that it's more expensive, because none of us want something more expensive. We just want something more valuable because it's more enduring. Purity in our life will allow us to be more enduring. Because the things that are impure in our life become vulnerabilities and imperfections to delay or, or restrict our ability to be enduring. Are we, are we hearing that? But let's take the assumption that we all believe and we all want a life of purity. And we're going to start with the two things that I, I've written down that I think are the restrictors or restrictors for our ability to have a pure life. The first is this, subjective truth. Thanks, Scott. Subjective truth. So there needs to be a reality, if we're talking about purity, that there is a right and there is a wrong. There needs to be a reality that there is a black and there is a white. There is something that is good and something that is bad. And there are lines that we can't cross. Now, in our society today, there's this idea of you do you, meaning it's good for you, but it's bad for me. And there's this idea that truth is up to the beholder. Now, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've seen Jesus to be your savior, you then move into the journey of learning, for, learning, learning to have him as your Lord. So learning to have him as your authority in your life. And as that authority in your life, he then becomes the authority of what is right or wrong. So who defines in my life who's right, what's right and wrong? Well, I choose that God defines right and wrong. Not society, not the church, not my wife, not my neighbor, not my father, but God decides this is right and this is wrong. So we need to, uh, one thing that is, that is a barrier for our pure life is this idea that there aren't lines that can't be crossed. Now, we would have grown up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard of this idea, the Ten Commandments. Anyone heard of the Ten Commandments? These are like those easy lines we shouldn't cross, right? So if I say, hey, thou shall not murder, well, I could get a resounding yes in the room that yes, that's a line we shouldn't cross, hey? Can, can I get a resounding yes? Is that, is that right? I'm a little terrified. If you don't say yes, I may need some support up here just in case, you know? Thou shall not, um, uh, thou shall not uh, murder, you know, that's an easy one. Thou shall not have any other gods than me. You know, that's one that seems to be subjective truth to some people. But you actually can't have that subjective truth and have a life of purity. You can't be following Buddha and Jesus. So there's this subjective truth. You know, and, but there's some lines that, that can't be crossed. Let me, let me tell you one that's unpopular. Is actually the scripture still says, thou shall not get drunk. There still is this line. Now, what happened in society, in our, in our church world, if you grew up in church, is there was this idea that, okay, thou shall not get drunk, therefore alcohol is bad. Well, that's not the truth. It's, it's that this line is there. Now, I grew up in church and saw the journey. So some people then saw, oh, well, alcohol is okay, so therefore there's no line. Well, no, no, that's not true either. There's still a line that can't be crossed, right? There's still a line that is uh, in the sand that needs to be defined for us to know that actually that is right and that is wrong. Now, we know Jesus died that, I all, that we all have the same opportunity. So here's, here's David reading the scripture, 
created me a pure heart. After he's sinned, sinned. What is sin? Sin is everything that separates us from God. So Jesus dies so that there's nothing that has the opportunity or nothing that has to separate us from God. There's still things that could separate us from God, but nothing has to separate us from God. David sins, yet he, he, he recognizes it, he reconciles it, and has again a fresh relationship with God because nothing has to separate us from God. We still have to recognize there are lines we shouldn't cross. Because what happens when we cross the line? It separates us from God. You hear me? So this is the first thing that, that, that um, uh, uh, blocks us from a life of purity, is this idea of subjective truth. You do you. Now the second thing that, um, let's just go watch time. I'm, I'm a long-winded preacher. I wasn't allowed to talk as a child, so. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Thou shalt not lie. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, sorry. <coughs> um, so, second thing. Are we, are we still with me? I'm going to take a little drink of water here just to recover for a moment here. First thing, subjective truth. There has to be a, a line that, that can't be crossed or shouldn't be crossed. Right, here's the other thing is, is uh, the second thing that restricts us from a life of purity is what I call differing conscience. So I want to take you to a scripture here um, in 1 Corinthians. And this is Paul. Paul was a, a leader of the church in the early days. And Paul's story is, if, if you dig into it, it's, it's pretty inspiring and pretty amazing. He was uh, very anti-Christians. He was of the Jewish faith. He was very well learned. Um, and he was, he was a part of killing many Christians because they believed in Jesus. And Jesus found him, transformed his life, and he uh, became a leader of many churches in that day. We find this in 1 Corinthians 8, and, and it's an interesting story, and you have to sort of think about it in, in that day and age. Is, is, um, people were, were coming into faith or into relationship with Jesus, coming into the Christian religion, and they'd come out of Judaism. Judaism had all of these rules. Thou shalt all came from Judaism. And they had all these rules saying, if I don't do these things, then I cannot have a relationship with God. Because there wasn't the ability to redeem in the same way, only to cover, right? So, so they could cover their sins. They couldn't redeem their life. It's a different thing. And they were coming into faith with Jesus. And, <clears throat> and they, here's the thing is, whatever life you come out of, you, you bring with you. And they were trying to figure out how to live this new life. And, and there was people who had freedom from some things and people who did not have freedom from some things. And this is where we find Paul. He says, 1 Corinthians verse 8, he says, Now about food, sacrifice to idols. That day and age, food would be, um, you know, like we would bless our food in our home maybe. You'd say a blessing and you'd pray over your food. So food would be blessed and it would be sacrificed and, get, and, and prayed over to Buddha in modern day, or to Allah, or you know some other god of that day. Uh, it wasn't those gods. I'm giving you a, a present day example. So it says now about food uh, sacrifice titles. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, will love builds up. What does that mean? It means you can have all the knowledge whatsoever in God and still miss His relationship with you. You can know everything there is to know about God, but it's actually not about knowing about God. It's about knowing God and him knowing you. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes us arrogant, but love 
looks at the relationship more than it looks at being right. I've heard this said before, and, and as I, you know, my wife and I just celebrated 10-year anniversary this week, and the longer we're married, the more I realize this is true. I heard this said one time, you can be right, or you can be married. You choose. The same is true in all of your relationships. You can be right, or you can have friends. And I see a lot of people who are right with no friends. This is what this scripture is saying. Anyways, uh, not important to this particular message. Those who think they know something uh, do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food, sacrifice, idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. So we believe there's one God and that there's one God, or there's no God but one. For even the... Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, for whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He's saying all these other gods are manufactured. Therefore, if it's something's sacrificed to it, it doesn't really mean anything when it's sacrificed to nothing. There is only one God, so therefore sacrificing and praying to, the, to these gods doesn't uh, wreck the meat because it's not really been prayed to anything. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is, did I just read this? Yes, next, next phrase. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Remember, different people come with different beliefs in. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. Imagine someone who's grown up in the Jewish faith for 60 years, always knowing that food we cannot touch. We need kosher food, right? That's what it is, kosher food. Food that hasn't been sacrificed, food that's been prepared a certain way, food that's been cleaned a certain way. And although I know now that God is one God and Jesus is bigger than that, my conscience tells me that that still is bad even though I know it's not. You've, you've had those things that you learn, you're like, it's bad but it isn't. Some people are so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as being sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Let me give you an example for a moment. So I, I'm, uh, my grandparents, um, they're still alive today, and they grew up in church, and they grew up in a Pentecostal church. And my grandparents, um, they never went to movie theaters, and they never danced because dancing leads to sex, and that was bad. Um, and they went, never went to movies, they didn't drink alcohol, and now we've, we've shifted from that maybe in generations since, and I, I don't have any problem with alcohol, um, but I know from my grandparents, who have grown up with alcohol being bad, that it would in fact be a sin for them, hear it, it would be a sin for them to drink alcohol. It wouldn't be a sin for me to drink alcohol, but it would be a sin for them to drink alcohol, because it is wrong in their conscience. Okay, I see a, a few puzzled faces, so let's go a little bit into scripture for a second here. Adam and Eve, beginning of creation. They're created, and they are naked. Spoiler alert, they're naked. They're naked. God tells them not to eat from two trees. The tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and immediately they recognize that they are naked. So they cover themselves and they hide from God. Now, they were naked before they ate, and they were naked 
after they ate. Their circumstance didn't change, but their opinion of their circumstances changed, and not only did it isolate, um, it not only did it isolate them, but it isolated them from their assurance of who God was. They knew who God was before they ate, and that they were unashamed, and they were fine, but after they ate, their assurance of who God was changed. So the sin, sin is what separates us from God. So what happened? The situation didn't change, but the response did. So their conscience said, although God may be able to be near us, we're no longer able to be near God. And I know for people who've had a, or a weak conscience or things change, they will separate themselves from God because of that weak conscience. Are you hearing me? So it's the recognition that actually sin is, there's some subjective, there's some, some, some absolute truth that these are lines that we can't cross, but there are some things that are actually true for you that are not true for me. I'll give you another example. If you have, um, if you have grown up uh, and at some point in time, if you've had, uh, you know, you've had alcoholism in, in your life, right? You've, you've had issues with alcohol. Well, you having a drink is actually a bigger problem than someone else having a drink. You hear that? Because here's the thing is, is what happens in our life as we age is, let's say this is the line, drunkenness, okay? So this is the, the absolute truth that I, if I cross that line, I have sinned. Everyone has sinned if they cross that line, right? Whether you're the Pope or you're the, pa the pa papal, 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 I don't know, what's the, no, it doesn't matter, Pope or not. You know, you, you've all sinned if you cross there. But for one person, when they have a drink, the reality is that one drink is the same as making the decision that they're going to end up here. Right? Have you ever, you've ever had a conversation with someone who struggles with alcoholism? Is when they have one drink, they never have one drink. So the one drink is the same as being here. I remember growing up, and we had uh, families in our church. They were uh, uh, homeschooled families, and, and different people had different responses to what do we do with the world changing? What do we do to try and protect our families in that? And some people made the decision that we have no cable in our house. Well, was cable wrong? No. But for some people, actually cable will get them to the line that they shouldn't cross. For some people, the problem isn't this line that they keep crossing. It's that they still are subscribed to Netflix. The problem isn't this line that they keep crossing. It's that they have an Instagram account. That might be okay for someone, but it isn't okay for you. You know, the problem might not be this line that keeps getting crossed. It's the problem that you're married and you shouldn't have as many female friends as you have or male friends as you have. Now, are those things wrong? Well, not for everyone, but maturity is learning that actually when I step over here, it's the same as me eventually stepping over here. There's this story in um, um, the world today. There was a, a pastor two weeks ago. I don't know if anything's evolved since then, so uh, I apologize if I'm misquoting or... or, or missing things, and there's a pastor who stepped down about two weeks ago um, for inappropriate relationship with a woman. You know, you've heard the story before. But I listened to their, um, uh, their broadcast of what happened, and, and the, you know, a board member came up, shared, and then the pastor came up and shared. And this is what happened, and the pastor had been in a service, someone had approached him after and said, hey, I, I think that the relationship that you have with my friend, it was a woman, um, is inappropriate. So he immediately says, he, he 
showed his, you know, he went to his wife, and they'd been communicating on uh, social media of some sort. Um, showed it to his wife, showed it to the board. They did an investigation. The board came back and said, um, yes, we think that this was an inappropriate relationship. And what they communicated was there was nothing romantic about the relationship. And there was nothing sexual about the relationship. But what was wrong with the relationship was the familiarity and the frequency. Now, if, if, depending on what your beliefs in uh, that is, that's fine. But what I love about that is, is the recognition, and he apologized for, for not being able to see that. And, and the line, if you will, hadn't been crossed. But this one had that eventually leads there. Because no one who loves their spouse wakes up one day and cheats on them. That's not what happens. They love their spouse and they stop spending time with them. They make work a priority. They see all the negatives instead of the positives. They find a friend here that is, that is uh, uh, without uh, barriers or bondage. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't go here without starting here. And there's this reality that if we want to live a life of purity, we need to recognize what is right for us or wrong for us or relevant of someone else. For some of us, we should only watch G-rated movies. Not because PG is sin, but because we know we go from PG to R to looking at porn. And it's because we started compromising at this thing that wasn't compromised. Any addict has that. Like, oh, well... It's just one gin. It's just one this. Oh, it's just a little bit. It's just the weekend, and then I'll be done on Monday. It's just the this. But we all have these things that for us are little lines that aren't sin for everyone, but they are sin for us. You hear what I'm saying? And I remember being, I was maybe a teenager, and we were at a conference in Calgary. I remember a pastor, a preacher getting up, and he said, he said for him, smoking a cigar was a sin. And I think I grew up in a church that you couldn't smoke cigars. So I was like, you're right, it is a sin. <laughs> but I realized, and I've talked to someone else similarly, they said, well, you know, a cigar may not be a sin because where we, when it comes to smoking, where we see sin is anything that turns into addiction, right? So he's like, well, a cigar is not sin, but I know once I smoke a cigar, I'm going to be doing a pack a day the next week. You know, these are the things. So where is that level that I can't cross to get to here? Are we, are we following? We're good here? It's helpful, hopefully. Um, my son, I've got three children, one's eight, six, and one, and um, my son, who's eight, he's getting stronger, like just, he's getting older, so he's getting stronger. My daughter, who's six, is still six, and she's a little weaker than my son. May not always be the case, but it currently is. I remember my mom saying this to my brother when I was older, but I, I, we, we find this conversation a lot, where he's, they're wrestling, and inevitably, they're in another room, and what do you hear? You hear screaming and crying coming from the room because someone hurt someone. You know, that never happened in your household. Only in pastors' households do, the, you know, do they cry and punch each other in the face or whatever they're doing. I don't know. You know, you're always like, oh, okay, what happened now? And it always is this conversation. It seems to be these days. Okay, what happened? Well, I was doing this. I didn't think it would hurt her. I didn't think that this would happen. I didn't think that this would happen. I was having a conversation with my son the other day, and I said, hey, I said, you, you do a lot of things with no intention of it hurting your sister. But what we need to move from is not trying not to hurt or not, not doing things that I'm not trying to hurt, but moving to a spot where I'm trying not to hurt her. 
A life of purity is that reality that some of us live this life of Jesus has paid the price. Therefore, I don't have to worry about my sin anymore because he forgives me. If I lived this life, right? So if I knew that if I cheated on my wife, she would forgive me. I'd be like, well, it doesn't matter. I can, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to have boundaries with women. I can, I can have whatever friends I want because I know she'll forgive me. And this is how we treat Jesus sometimes. We treat him like a whore. Someone who will forgive us, but we don't have to pay a price for that relationship. Now, even if that was true about my wife, there's not a person in this room who thinks that is right. No one. Yet sometimes we justify our actions to God because he will forgive us. But Christ's forgiveness is so that when we fall down, we can get back up, not so we don't have to worry about staying up. You hear me? We need to move from the spot that um, a, a, or a life of purity, let me say it this way. A life of purity is not deciding not to do the, do the worst things, but choosing daily to not do the little things that could lead to the worst things. Hear that? A life of purity is not deciding not to do the worst things. Oh, I, as, long as, I don't, as long as I don't have an affair, as long as I'm not drunk, as long as I don't murder them, then I'm okay. Right? Like this is but choosing daily to do the little things that could lead to the worst things. Choosing daily not to do the little things that could lead to the worst things. You hear me? Knowing the line that isn't the line for everyone, but it's a line for you. And we all have that. I believe that truly. We all have these things that are inner compulsions that, that we need to have the barrier of this, that, hey, actually, when I, you know, when I go to a fast food restaurant, then I'm binging. So therefore, I don't go to the fast food restaurant. Oh, when I go to move, you know, like, whatever it is. You, you, you understanding me? I think so. You know, some people need to not have computers in their house. Some people need to not have a smartphone. Some people need to not have relationships with the opposite sex because it turns into something it shouldn't. You know, alcoholics shouldn't go to the liquor store. Uh, these, these seem simple things, but it's simple if it's someone else's issue. But in our own issue, we're like, oh, because here's what we do, uh, is we believe we're strong enough. We believe that we're strong enough. So therefore, it's okay, I'm strong enough. Most 12-step programs, as best I understand, the very first step is acknowledging that you're not strong enough. That in fact, you need God to be strong enough because you're not strong enough. As soon as we rely on ourselves, impurity has an easy access in. I'm trying to find a scripture I was wanting to share. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, It's reminding ourselves, and, and Jesus puts this well in, in Matthew. It's after he's shared the Beatitudes, and uh, I'm going to close here in a moment. Uh, and, and he comes back in the Ten, the ten Commandments. There was more commandments than that, but that's happened. And he, he says to the people uh, after he's shared the Beatitudes, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, 
you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. He's saying that this is, is the line, but let's not get there. Let's get here and catch the line here. This is the other thing that I, I realize, and, and I, I encourage you to have people in your world that you're eating meals with that can see these things. Because here's what I've seen. Uh, uh, like a number of years ago, before I was married, um, I was in a different relationship, and uh, we, were, we were living together in, in, in another city. And I remember uh, being here, you know, like on this side of that line. Um, and I remember someone asking me after it sort of all dissipated and everything, they're asking me how I sort of got there. I was like, well, it's easy. Because once... I, um, once I knew where I was going, I isolated myself from everyone who would tell me it was wrong. You know what's funny? Is none of us need someone to tell us that this line is wrong. We know that. So if we're going over it, if we're planning to go over it, if we're on a trajectory, because we know when we start here that we're going there, we isolate ourselves from people who will tell us or correct us that something is going to go wrong here. They're like, hey, I know you're not there yet, but I know this is the journey you go. So when people in your world aren't answering the phone, call them again. When people in your world aren't connecting like they used to, call them again. Because we all have these things that end up here. And we all isolate because we already know and we don't want someone else to tell us what we need to hear. And the other thing is what happens is, is when, we, when we're on the journey from this spot of small compromise, things that are insignificant on the way there, eventually when we get over here, we've stopped believing over here is wrong anymore. Do you know what I mean? If you've ever met someone who's, um, you know, who's had an affair, is once they get over here and they're in their relationship, how many affairs turn into like they leave the spouse and they go with the other person? Because suddenly, well, you know what, I actually found love here and there was no love there. And what they've done, they've already convinced themselves that it was never wrong. Because we actually find our conscience is still active in these steps. And once we get across this step, we've shut it down. We've isolated from everyone who could tell us that we're going in the wrong direction. What does scripture say? There's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death. This is why we have relationship with people. Because I know how many times as a pastor, I look at people's lives and I look at people's little decisions. And I'm like, you know what? What you're doing right now, there's nothing there's nothing excessively wrong about it, but I have seen 30 people over the last 15 years, they make that little decision, but that's here. Like, yes, you think that this is okay for your marriage, but I, in, in two years, you're going to call me and say, hey, we're breaking up because it's just, because this little step is actually the thing that takes you there. And you need people in your world that say, hey, this little step, it seems insignificant. Hey, working all that overtime, it seems insignificant. Hey, taking that bribe, it seems insignificant. Because here's the thing, integrity, it ain't sexy. There's nothing sexy about it. Doing the right thing when no one's watching, nothing glamorous. But there's everything right about it. I want to... Um, I want to close with one, one scripture, and then I want to uh, leave an opportunity. I'm going to invite um, Scott to come play here now. I like to be direct. Um, I'm going to create an opportunity um, if, if you want prayer. And here's, here's what I'm going to be praying. So I'm going to be praying that, 
that God would expose to you and show you this line. The spot that your conscience knows it can't cross. Because if I can, if we can determine that and say, hey, you know what, these are the things that are, are, are decisions I've made for myself so that I don't miss out on the depth of relationship I can have with Jesus. Because here's the thing, we all have the opportunity for the depth of relationship, but really is those who choose to deal with the impurities that get the depth of the relationship. No one has any more opportunity, but everyone has to choose maturity to get there. It's really unfortunate that like Jesus paid the price, but there's still things that we can do. Do you know what I mean? I want to read this scripture. It's in Matthew 5, verse 8. It's just before that scripture I just read to you about. uh, You've heard it said. This is the Beatitudes, and Jesus is sharing this to the people. And he says this, blessed are the pure in heart. We have this idea that if we are pure in heart, cursed are us. Boring is our life. Restricted is our world. Bound are we. No, no, no. Jesus says, blessed are are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. That's the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart because the veil will be torn, the holy of holies will be accessible to them, and they will see God. The truth is sometimes the reason when we come into worship we can't feel God is because there's impurities in our life that we haven't dealt with. It's not that Jesus has moved, it's that we've put something in front of them. Adam and Eve, they sin and they put something in front of them in their relationship with God. Jesus doesn't put something in front of us, but he asks us to remove the things that are in front of us from the relationship. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Come on, I want want to be a church that wants to see God. I want to be a church that wants to be unrestricted from our access to him. I want to be a church that's living in purity, not because we're pious, but because we're purposed. That we understand that the cost of this line is nothing in comparison to the gain in this relationship. Marriage for me, is the choice that my relationship with my wife, Kimberly, is better than any other relationship or any other multitude of relationships I could have. It's separate. It's holy. Holy means separate. It's saying that this relationship is greater than anything I would ever give up because anything that I would give up is so insignificant to everything that I gain. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. I'm going to close in prayer and, and we're going to um, finish this, uh, the broadcast here. And, uh, and Scott's going to play and, uh, and we're not going to close with announcements or anything. I'm just making that executive decision. All good. If you need announcements, go look on the website. Do something like that. Ask someone around you when you take them out for dinner today. Um, but I'm going to open up and I want to just pray for you if, if you want to. If you don't, that's fine. Um, but that's it. Is that all right? When you close your eyes, I'm just going to pray over you all and then open up the front here for prayer. Jesus, <clears throat> you are worth it all. 
Let that be clear in our souls. That you are worth it all. God, let us never feel like something insignificant is worth more than you. God, I thank you that there is absolute truth in you and there's differing conscience that we need to be aware of, God. But on the life of purity, on the life of holiness, on the life of of pursuing you, God, there's such blessing. God, I thank you for the taste of the blessing that you give us when when you died for us. I thank you that there's not a person here who is not able to connect and, and, and be in depth of relationship with you, Jesus. I thank you that I have no greater opportunity than anyone else in this room. There's no differing opportunity, God, but I pray that we would make the choices to step into the depths of your presence that are available for us. Clarify for us the lines we can't cross. Give us courage to make the hard decisions. In Jesus' heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca. Thank you.